Hello and welcome to edition number 1849 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 28th of January 2021. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. So, I've prepared this edition at my home in Coombe with my wife Jill as the other voice you will hear as a reader. Our recording engineer this week is Eric Imson. As is usual, we've taken items mainly from the Whitney Gazette, and our first story, read by Jill, is about plans which may excite walkers and cyclists in our area. Ambition to boost bikes and walks. People in Whitney are being asked for their views on new cycling initiative for, for the town. The scheme is designed to make the town a safer place to cycle and walk, while also cutting back on the number of car journeys made. Cycle routes across a central corridor of Whitney would be improved and combined with proposed improvements to walking and cycling measures in the western part of town. Oxfordshire County Council's proposed measures also include slowing vehicle traffic and prioritising cyclists and pedestrians, including an upgrading crossing to Toucan crossings. Proposals also include an eastbound bus and cycle lane in Corn Street, where general traffic will only be allowed westbound, and the closure of Holloway Road for through traffic to prevent rat running. Paths will be widened with the aim of creating a safer environment to cycle and walk. The proposals for the scheme result from an active travel investment from the Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership, OxLEP. Yvonne Constance, the County Councillor's Cabinet Member for the Environment, said, This is great news for Whitney. The funding from OxLEP recognises the ambition of our active travel plans and enables us to build on our existing commitment to accelerate our bold plans for transforming how people travel and how communities are connected. As the Whitney area grows, it is vital that this growth is made sustainably, so we minimise emissions and car journeys and help the growth be geared to connected and healthy, active communities. Active travel and climate are at the heart of our plans. We have put forward schemes which will have the greatest impact in terms of air quality, physical activity and environmental benefit. This scheme and that for BISTA are projects which go to the heart of supporting healthy and vibrant, vibrant communities. And the next story is headlined, Weightlifting Pensioner took COVID-19 battle in her stride. A pensioner who has recently recovered from coronavirus said she didn't panic when she tested positive and that keeping fit helped her pull through. Winifred Jones tested positive for COVID-19 on New Year's Eve after a troublesome cough. Now though, after making a full recovery, the 94-year-old is getting back into her old routine by doing plenty of exercise. Mrs Jones said, I didn't panic. I knew what it was and I just got on with it. That's how I am. What's the point in panicking? I'm a tough old nut. I had that silly cough for about two weeks and then I got better. You can't help catching this virus, but I've always kept fit and cycled a lot. Mrs Jones from Bampton revealed an active lifestyle and a healthy appetite were key to her defeating COVID-19 and her continued recovery. She said, I've always kept fit. I like walking, so I've been going for long walks around Bampton again recently. I've been using weights long before all this happened and have carried on with them. I love my food as well and the things I eat help keep me fit. 
You've got to stop worrying about yourself. I've always had a sense of humour and I like to have a bit of fun. You've got to keep cheerful and that makes a heck of a difference. Mrs Jones, who was born in Trowbridge, Wiltshire, moved to Oxfordshire in the 1950s, initially to Whitney, when her husband David got a job in the town. Mr Jones passed away four years ago. The couple moved to Bampton 14 years ago and have three daughters, 10 grandchildren and 16 great-grandchildren. Her daughter, Annette Gillibrand, 68, said, We just thought she had a bit of a cough, so I was in total shock when she caught it. We then got tested because she had tested positive, and even though we didn't have anything in the way of symptoms, both my sister and I tested positive, as well as my mum's carer. Then we became ill too, so I basically stayed and helped mum and rested in between jobs. On Monday, she'll be starting her exercises, exercise classes again on Zoom. Well, that sounds like somebody with a positive attitude. Potential new home for interim post office. An interim post office has been proposed for Burford's Tourist Information Centre until permanent premises are ready. After news agent Burford News announced it would close, Steve and Sally Coulter of Mrs Bumble's Deli step forward to keep the postal service in the town by setting up a temporary counter in their shop. However, as the costs of doing so continue to rise, they were almost forced to pull the plug on the project. Local resident Paul Miller then decided to set up an online fundraiser which succeeded in raising £10,000 in just three weeks. At the time, Mr and Mrs Coulter said they'd hoped it would not be too long before the permanent post office was ready. We're hoping that by the end of February, there'll be a fully operational, full-time post office for the building next door to Mrs Bumble's, Mr Coulter said. In the meantime, Councillor Derek Cotterell has proposed making use of the town's tourist information centre on the High Street, which is temporarily closed. At a meeting of West Oxfordshire District Council, he said, the post office has offered a pop-up until we have new premises. I have asked if the Tourist Information Centre can be used, but my emails have gone unanswered. Next is a story uh, which is one of two in, in this edition about uh, rail projects. Um, so the first one is called Dreams of Oxford Whitney Rail Link Back on Track with Study. The possibility of a rail link between RAF Bryce Norton, Carterton, Whitney, Ensham and Oxford is a step closer after West Oxfordshire District Council agreed to explore the idea. Chair of the Whitney Oxford Transport Group, Charlie Maynard, told councillors his goals this year were to finance and complete a rail feasibility study. He also wanted to harness local support with a community engagement programme. Every member of Oxfordshire County Council, bar one abstention, backed a feasibility study in 2021 at a meeting which was held last November. The council was looking at long-term strategies to solve the traffic jams on the A40. Plans for a relief road, the Loop Farm Project, which would have seen a road built between Duke's Cut on the A40 and Loop Farm Roundabout, road on the A44 were dropped after Oxfordshire's local enterprise partnership withdrew funding. 
Mr Maynard said he would soon be submitting a bid for Department for Transport funding under a project called Restoring Your Railway to part finance the study. The preferred route is to follow the A40 as closely as possible, running 14 miles from a junction with the existing Cotswold line at Yarnton to Carterton West Station. There would, a there would be a freight line into the airbase. There is also potential for a park and ride at Carterton North Station for traffic from Burford and Gloucestershire. The new link for battery or hydrogen powered trains emit emitting zero pollutants can only be built if work to increase capacity at Oxford Station goes ahead. There would also need to be dual tracking to handle additional trains from Warwickett Junction to Hamborough. West Oxfordshire Council agreed to work actively with the county and give consideration to the plans. Mr Maynard said, the economic, social and environmental benefits to the district of a railway along the A40 corridor are very large. This gives us quite a bit of wind in our sails. And as I said, there'll be another story about uh, a rail project later on in the edition. Businesses urged to apply for grants from the council. Businesses are being urged to apply for grants from West Oxfordshire District Council. The process has been simplified with two forms now to be filled in. These cover the latest lockdown grants as well as those relating to previous restrictions in force since November. Business owners who have applied for a grant since November do not need to reapply by completing another form. Instead, they are being contacted by email and asked to indicate which grants they believe they are entitled to. Their eligibility will then be assessed by the council revenues team. Toby Morris, Cabinet Member for Resources at West Oxfordshire District Council, said, We know how worried businesses have been about these grants as they face having little or no income. We have made the applications process as simple and as easy as possible for businesses. So these applications are not another worry in a challenging time. We will do our very best to process these grants as quickly as possible and get this financial lifeline out to our communities. West Oxfordshire District Council has also extended the discretionary grant eligibility to include taxi drivers and tenanted pubs. Since the pandemic started, WODC has distributed 3,055 grants, totalling more than £29 million in funding to local businesses. Next story is headlined, MP welcomes updates on sewage and rivers health. Whitney MP Robert Courts has welcomed a new bill addressing sewage pollution. The Sewage Inland Waters Bill, introduced to Parliament by MP Philip Dunn last year, has raised awareness of storm overflows. Meanwhile, the Joint Industry and Government Storm Overflows Task Force, which is made up of all sorts of bodies, including DEFRA, the Environment Agency, Ofwat, the Consumer Council for Water, Blueprint for Water and Water UK, have all agreed to set a target of eliminating harm from storm overflows. Following recommendations from the task force, water companies will also increase transparency around when and how storm overflows are used. Typically, storm overflows were designed to be used during extreme weather to prevent sewers becoming overloaded with a combination of sewage and rainwater. 
When that happens, they release diluted wastewater into rivers rather than letting it back up into people's homes. However, increased rainfall has led to complications. Thames Water recently agreed to Mr Quartz's demand to fund an independent investigation into the health of the river Windrush to establish the source of the turbidity issues in the river. Commenting on the recent developments, Mr Quartz said, the government and the task force has committed to a series of short, medium and long-term actions focused on the ambitious goal of eliminating harm from storm overflows, a system that has been operating since the Victorian era. Making sure our rivers, local rivers, are clean and healthy has been a priority of mine. I welcome the announcement, which together with the measures in the Environment Bill, will ensure we tackle and ultimately end the harm of storm overflows. In addition to this decisive action nationally, I'm continuing to keep the pressure on Thames water locally. The Government's Environment Bill currently progressing through Parliament will be the first time ever, or sorry, will for the first time ever, place a statutory requirement on water companies to produce drainage and sewerage management plans committing them to network upgrades and to addressing the needs their sewage assets may pose to the environment. Mr Courts met with the Environment Minister Rebecca Powell last summer to highlight the issue of storm overflows in West Oxfordshire and to discuss ways in which the Environment Bill can address issues on river pollution. He also raised the matter with the Minister on the floor of the House of Commons, emphasising that there was growing concern in West Oxfordshire about the condition of the River Windrush and particularly about sewage discharge. RSPB asked for an hour to help Big Bird Watch survey. Lockdown wildlife watchers can spend an hour a day noting down birds in their garden to help a national study. People can submit notes, photographs or video footage online to the RSPB's Big Garden Bird Watch from January 29 to 31. The event is the world's largest wildlife survey with 7,200 people contributing last year when the house sparrow was the most spotted bird in Oxfordshire, despite being in decline nationally, followed by blue tits and starlings. Others in the top 10 were goldfinches and long-tailed tits, which appeared in 6.2, which sorry, which appeared in 6.2% more county gardens last year than in previous years. They have pink, grey, and white feathers and a long tail, and are usually in flocks of up to 20. Blue tits are common thanks to people offering food and nesting boxes. They are on the rise nationwide, with an 8% rise in population since 1979. The 2021 survey's data will provide a snapshot of bird numbers across the UK and how they have fared since the project started over 40 years ago. Becky Spate, the RSPB's chief executive, said, Lockdown brought few benefits, but the last year has either started or reignited a love of nature for many people. There has been a broad and much needed realisation that nature is an important and necessary part of our lives, especially for our mental health and well-being, but nature needs us too. To attract a variety of birds, the RSPB suggests filling a feeder with fat balls or crushed peanuts, mild grated cheese, soft fruits, cooked rice or pasta.
porridge oats and unsalted bacon are also suitable. To take part, text in capital letters BIRD to 730, 70030 or register at www.rspb.org.uk slash birdwatch. And now there are three short uh, items from around various parts of the county or our area. The first one is headed Michelin-starred chef's food on your doorstep. One of the county's top restaurants, the Wild Rabbit in Kingham near Chipping Norton, is bringing cheer to foodies by launching a takeaway delivery service. Chef Nathan Eads, formerly of Michelin-starred Simpsons in Birmingham, is doing a three-course fine dining menu available for collection from the restaurant each weekend to enjoy at home with instructions on how to finish and serve the meal. The restaurant has also launched a delivery service to addresses within a 10-mile radius of Kingham. And I've looked and I'm not uh, within that 10-mile radius. Fortunately, I'm not sure I could afford it. Next one, budget consultation. Residents are being asked to share their views on what council priorities should be over the coming, what council priorities should be over the coming years. A budget consultation is now live and runs until Sunday. Toby Morris, Cabinet Minister for Resources at West Oxfordshire District Council, said, we want to know what our priorities should be going forward as we emerge from this crisis. This consultation is open to everyone so we can gauge what we are doing right and where our priorities should be. And the last little item is headed Raiders Take Converters. And it says police have advice for vehicle owners after a spate of raids on catalytic converters. They're widgets, I think, that are uh, attached to our cars. They say, where possible, park in the garage or in a place that restricts access to the underside of the vehicle. Installing security lighting and CCTV are other suggestions, as well as getting bolts welded shut and etching them with a unique number. Animals take advantage of snowfall. Animals at an Oxfordshire Wildlife Centre took advantage of the snowy weather. Mammal keepers at Cotswold Wildlife Park in Burford snapped some of them out enjoying the snow. Chris Kibby, Assistant Animal Manager at Cotswold Wildlife Park said, a falling of snow had been welcomed by a few of the species, including the red pandas, camels and wolverine, who would normally come from colder climates. Even the capybaras seemed to enjoy it, despite their relatives coming from South America. Any animals that aren't a fan of this weather are provided with heated indoor enclosures. Meanwhile, Diane Mullinger captured some scenic shots from across Whitney. She said it was truly magical to see a snow-covered Whitney. There seemed to be a sense of calm, normality and excitement during these difficult times. The snow brought a bit of light relief and there were lots of snowmen around to make everyone smile along with good social distancing by all. And this article is uh, is illustrated with a number of uh, lovely pictures. Uh, there are a number of ones that were taken at the wildlife park, uh, a white stalk in the snow, and believe me, you can still see it. Uh, one of these um, difficult-to-pronounce animals, the capybara, uh, also uh, outside in the snow, 
Um, and the other one is a red panda, which doesn't look anything like those black and white ones um, that we're used to seeing. The, there are some, also some lovely pictures there which were taken around Whitney, uh, one of the of church green covered in snow and the church, of course, covered, uh, well, the roofs covered uh, uh, there too. Uh, one of Ducklington Lake, which looks like something straight out of, of the Arctic. Um, really rather magnificent pictures. Jill's got another animal story that uh, she was very keen to read. Um, against my better judgment, I think, but uh, here we go. Police chasing goats in snow. Two escaped goats led police on a merry chase in the snow. Police officers were called to Chipping Norton on Sunday night after reports of goats on the loose on a road. Police Community Support Officer PSCO Schofield reported having a short pursuit around a car park trying to stop the animals walking onto the Worcester Road in the wintry weather. The TVP West Oxford said that the animal's owner was found and the goats were led to safety. Now for the editor's choice of articles. I'm a fan of David Cornwell, who's better known as the author John le Carre, um, who died in December. Uh, I once met him at a, an event in Australia and um, I've followed his books uh, ever since, I suppose. And I suppose his death and having more time on my hands, thanks to the COVID restrictions, prompted me to pick up a number of his recent novels, such as A Most Wanted Man and Agent Running in the Field. I can recommend them. And perhaps his spy novels were what drew my attention to a new book by Ben McIntyre called Agent Sonia, which I have on order from the Whitney Library. I found a story about Agent Sonia in the Whitney Gazette this week, which I thought I'd share. So it's headlined Agent Sonia Mum and Spy for Russia. And the story reads, To everyone she met while living in Oxford, Kidlington and Great Rollwright, Ursula Burton was a dedicated housewife and mother. She looked after her husband Len and children, rode a bicycle, joined community activities and baked excellent cakes particularly scones, but she had a secret. Her real name was Ursula Kuzniski, and she was a highly trained Russian spy codenamed Sonia. Born in Berlin in 1907, she moved with husband Rudolf Hamburger in 1929 to China, where she met Richard Sorger, a Soviet spy. She quickly became part of his network. She was summoned to Moscow for training, passed with flying colours, and signed a contract pledging her loyalty for life. After a further spell, spying in China and an assignment in Poland, she moved to Switzerland, where she met British-born spy Len Burton. She divorced Rudolf, married Len, applied for a British passport, and set off for England with her two children, Michael and Nina. Landing at Liverpool in early 1941, MI5 already had suspicions about her. She was grilled by an MI5 officer, but gave nothing away and was told she was free to go. The clandestine activities she would soon embark on, passing secrets about Britain's development of atomic weapons to Moscow, would remain undetected for nearly 10 years. The family settled in Kidlington, where no one realised that Mrs Burton was also Agent Sonia. 
She had a radio transmitter in her bedroom cupboard, a camera to photograph and shrink down documents, and a network of agents and contacts. Every few weeks she would take the train or cycle to Banbury to meet her contact, Klaus Fuchs, or leave messages in a dead letter box. In 1942, Ursula, Len and the children left Kidlington and moved to Avenue Cottage in Summertown, which was owned by Judge Neville Lasky. Ursula then asked to put an aerial on the roof, and Mrs Lasky agreed, not realising it was for dispatching secret information. Soon Ursula was amassing so much material she was transmitting to Moscow three times a week. However, MI5 was becoming suspicious and asked Oxford Police to investigate. Detective Inspector Arthur Rolfe reported, They have a rather large wireless set and recently had a special pole erected for the aerial. MI5 in the end saw no reason to intervene. Can't imagine why, but anyway. Meanwhile, Ursula was giving birth to her third child, Peter, and was then back spying within hours. After the war, she and her children, husband Len was in the RAF, then moved to the Furs at Great Rollwright, where she continued spying. When her former colleague, Klaus Fuchs, admitted spying in 1950, she realised the net was closing. She burned her paperwork, buried her transmitter, then cycled to Banbury and left a message to her Russian masters in the dead letter box, saying she was quitting. And the day before Fuchs was jailed for 14 years, she and her two younger children took a taxi to London Airport and flew to Berlin. She died in the year 2000, aged 93. You can see why I've got the book on order from the Whitney Library. Next is our weekly quiz. First though, the questions and answers which were set for you last week. And they are these. What part of the palm tree does tapioca come from? And if you said it comes from the bark of the tree, that's uh, a correct answer. Second question, in which country was John McEnroe born? Well, the American tennis player was in fact born in Germany. Third question, which famous abbey is depicted in the Bayeux Tapestry? And the answer is Westminster Abbey. Question four last week was, which is the only American state beginning with the letter P? And the answer to that is Pennsylvania. And finally, from last week, Ammon is the chief god in which mythology? And the answer to that one was Egyptian mythology. Now, my questions this week are as follows. Who is the new president, sorry, vice president of the United States of America? The new vice president of the United States of America. Question two, who is the current England test cricket captain? And question three, which is the eighth and farthest known planet from the sun in the solar system? Question four, where would you find the sea of tranquility? 
And finally for this week, what is England's largest county with no coastline? So the answer's next week as usual. Now to our notice board. Firstly, there is, only, there, there is one listener who has a birthday to celebrate. That is Mr. Stanley Downs of Cholbury, who will be 92 on Sunday, January the 31st. Happy birthday, Mr. Downs, and also to my wife and fellow reader, Jill, whose birthday is on the same day. She's not, she's not, not 92, <laughs> though. The following deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. John Kearsey of Whitney died on the 8th of January. Alfred Crawford Thompson, known as Alf, of Whitney, and formerly of Manchester, died on the 11th of January, aged 97. Myra King of Leafield died on the 13th of January, aged 85. Roger Sidney Berryman died on the 16th of January, aged 80. For many years, he was the treasurer of the Oxford Cricket Board after playing, coaching and organising the game during his or throughout his adult life. Also on the 16th of January, Joyce Margaret Holborough of Whitney died. George William March Keith of Carterton died on the 19th of January. Joan Hooper, nay England, died on the 20th of January, aged 86. And finally, Sylvia Patricia Wardle has died aged 86. Our condolences to family and friends. And now we'll have a few more news items uh, to finish our programme this week. Police and fire service in line for COVID tests. COVID-19 testing for key workers will be rolled out in Oxfordshire in early February. Rapid lateral flow tests will be used to detect virus in people with no symptoms who are still infectious. Results will be available in 30 minutes, which means those who test positive can isolate quickly and tracing contacts can cut transmissions of the virus significantly. The service will be available for people who have to leave home to work during the third national lockdown, such as police. The local initiative is in addition to existing lateral flow testing already in place nationally in settings such as care homes, hospitals and schools. It will target key workers not included in the national initiative, starting with the police and the fire service early next month. It will then be gradually expanded to other areas. Oxfordshire County Council is working with local authorities to set up community testing facilities in Oxford, Wantage and Banbury. Ansaf Azhar, the Council's Director of Public Health, said, We are working closely with partners both locally and nationally to plan the effective rollout of community testing. We are liaising with the Department of Health and Social Care and the military. He added, it is now believed that one in three people infected with COVID do not know they have the virus. The rapid spread of the high, highly infectious new variant of coronavirus makes community testing for those who work outside the home an even greater priority. It will allow us to better identify asymptomatic carriers of the virus and so help us more effectively control the virus and stop the spread. I also have a coronavirus story. Uh, it's headlined Use Stadium 
starts up as COVID jab mega hub serving county. Frontline healthcare workers have been prioritised for COVID-19 jabs with a huge new vaccination operation beginning at Oxford United's Cassam Stadium. The hub kicked off on Monday by vaccinating priority patient-facing staff who work on community and mental health wards, as well as those working in the community, such as district nurses, before opening its programme to patients. The stadium is the first mass centre to be set up by Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust as a lead vaccination provider in Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire and Berkshire West. People aged 75 and over will soon be invited to make appointments for their first injections of the Oxford AstraZeneca jab at the Kassam Stadium. The stadium joins a network of almost 50 large-scale centres across the country. The first seven, which can jab thousands of people a week, opened two weeks ago. Another 10 came on stream last week. Dr Nick Broughton, Chief Executive of Oxford Health, said, I'm delighted that Oxford Health is now playing its critical part in the rollout of the vaccination programme. This step means we can deliver inoculations at pace so that thousands more people can be protected from COVID-19. I would like to pay tribute to my project team at Oxford Health who have dedicated themselves with such commitment to ensuring that the vaccination centre is ready to serve the public. It is also wonderful that we will be administering the Oxford vaccine developed by Oxford scientists in the city where it was created to the local population. The Kassam Stadium will be open to the public by invitation only, seven days a week, from 8am to 8pm. People who cannot or do not want to travel to a vaccination centre can wait to be invited for a jab at a GP surgery or hospital. More than a 1,000 GP services and 250 hospital sites are now offering vaccinations in England. At least 70 GP practices across Oxfordshire have been doing vaccinations. Uh, This is the other story, rail-related story, that Alan mentioned earlier. Um, And it's headed 760 million for tracks to link university cities. A £760 million fund will be spent to break ground on a new railway link between Oxford and Cambridge. The cash from the Department of Transport will be used to lay tracks along a disused railway line between Bicester and Bletchley in Milton Keynes, with services beginning in 2025. The whole project, known as East-West Rail, could be completed by the end of the decade, according to the Government Minister overseeing it. Chris Heaton-Harris said it might also mean the Oxford to Cambridge Expressway, a paused project for a major road between the two university cities, remains paused for a very long time if people vote with their feet and choose to use trains instead of private cars. The funding announced on Saturday is to provide better transport links across a region the government calls the Oxford-Cambridge Arc, which it hopes will be an an economic boom area due to the high number of science and technology jobs. 
The railway work will shorten journey times between routes outside London. Travellers from Oxford, for example, will no longer have to take a train into the capital and back out again to reach Milton Keynes, but they could go there via Bicester instead. The government said work between Bicester and Bletchley was expected to create 1,500 jobs. It would include the construction of a station at Winslow as well as enhancements to existing stations, including Bletchley. By 2025, two trains an hour would run between Oxford and central Milton Keynes. Mr Heaton Harris, the Rail Minister, acknowledged the project was on an ambitious timetable. He said a second section of track could be laid between Bletchley and Bedford by 2028 and the final stretch could be completed by the end of the decade. The expressway project was paused as part of the budget in spring 2020. Campaigners in Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire and neighbouring counties are worried about the western stretch of the road, which would have been a new dual carriageway built over countryside. When East West Wales is complete, it will be the first time since 1968 Bicester and Bletchley will be connected by rail. As part of the government's new funding, it has, opened, it has also opened an Ideas Fund until March the 5th and will give grants of £50,000 to applicants to make a case for reopening branch lines or railway stations mothballed in the past. Mr Heaton Harris said the Whitney to Oxford line, long promoted as, as a commuter branch line, will be ideal for this fund. I've got one more COVID-related story. It's a bit hard to uh, avoid this week. And it's headed, COVID patients asked to donate their plasma. People who are recovering from COVID-19 are being urged to register as plasma donors. NHS Blood and Transplant is urging people hitting the 28-day recovery mark to sign up. They can only donate 28 days after they have recovered. So the number of potential donors is now at the highest ever level following the national record number of cases over the new year. More than 4,300 people living in and around Oxford have already registered to donate. The antibody-rich plasma of people who have had the disease might save the lives of those who struggle to develop their own immune response. Professor Dave Roberts, Associate Medical Director for Blood Donation at NHSBT, said, We especially need donations from people in Oxfordshire who have had hospital care. Men who had hospital care are around six times more likely to have the high antibody levels which might save lives. NHSBT is collecting plasma for trials for older people or those with cancer to treat them early. Professor Roberts said, donations are vital to the ongoing life-saving research, which gives us a better understanding of how we can best treat patients. Uh, This is the last story from this issue. Breweries at risk of drying up without support grants. Oxfordshire is home to 25 breweries which have been left out in the cold as they do not qualify for cash grants. While pubs endure a third lockdown, breweries are facing an even tougher situation because with pubs and restaurants closed, there is no one to sell their beer to. 
although they could still apply for discretionary grants because they have not been forced to close, they cannot apply for the same cash grants as pubs. Most breweries have seen sales drop by an average of 80% and have either stopped producing or scaled it right back. Dave Richardson from Oxford Campaign for Real Ale, Camera, said they haven't been ordered to close, but of course their main market has been severely diluted or even dried up, so a lot of them are in quite a difficult situation. The blossoming cottage industry of craft beer is something that will be missed by Oxfordshire pubgoers. The craft beer movement has been growing for the past 10 to 15 years. The craze started in London, which is home to chic and quirky bars, and breweries such as Tap Social in Botley have brought the taste to Oxfordshire. Mr Richardson said, we would lose variety. We would lose some of the different tastes which you can get. It would be a shame to see new industry starved of development and we do not want to go back to the days of little choice and bland beers that you can get anywhere. We want to see that local entrepreneurship flourish. The Society of Independent Brewers, SIBA, is calling for the government to support the industry by giving breweries a business rates holiday compensation for the millions of pints poured away when the pubs were forced to close. Matt Ford, retail and tap room manager at Loose Cannon Brewery in Abingdon, agreed that breweries are taking a huge financial hit. He said, I think people have taken their own paths. Some have closed up and I imagine they are hoping for a payout for business interruption. On an ongoing basis, it looks like the insurance companies may have to pay out, but it is not guaranteed. Loose Cannon adapted to the changes the three lockdowns have brought. Unable to sell to pubs, the brewery has cut back on production and started focusing on the retail side of the business, offering click and collect and running a beer refill service to its shop. The brewery makes deliveries in an electric van and has started making longer life beer. The shop has a bottle cleaning machine and a filling machine which enables the life of the beer to be doubled and bottles to be reused. Well, that was thirsty work. I think we'll go off and have a cup of tea rather than a beer now, though. That completes this edition. Our thanks go to the Whitney Gazette uh, for the articles we've used this week. And my special thanks go to our recording engineer, Eric Imson. Thank you also to my wife, Jill, my fellow reader this week. I know everyone at Talking News would like to wish you well. And on their behalf, until our next edition, Jill and I will say goodbye. Goodbye.